0: Welcome to FitJicks Chat, the weekly podcast dedicated to educating and empowering women to take control of their lives, where we talk about fitness, nutrition, wellness, mindset, and a whole lot more. Today's episode is brought to you by FitChix Academy, where we help heart-centered women just like you who love health and fitness get certified as fitness, nutrition, and health coaches and build amazing businesses. So if you're ready to create the life, health, and career you love, please join us for our upcoming Holistic Nutrition Weight Loss Expert Certification Program. To download the brochure today, Head over to fitchicksacademy.com forward slash H-W-L-E brochure to learn more. Now let's dive into this week's episode of Fit Chicks Chat. Welcome to the Fit Chicks Chat Podcast, where we talk all things fitness, nutrition, and wellness for women to help you live your healthiest and fiercest life inside and out. And now your hosts, Laura Jackson and Amanda Quinn.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to FitChix Chat. My name is Amanda Quinn, and on today's podcast, I am joined not by Laura Jackson, but instead I have a very special guest joining me today um, to talk about a very important topic that's something that we've never spoken about before on this podcast, and um, that is about domestic violence and the importance of understanding that, uncovering that, and having the conversation about it. And so um, today I have Michaela joining me. Hi, Michaela. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. Um, You know, we were just talking offline before, and I was just saying how I'm so grateful that you reached out to me and that you are so open to having this conversation because I think that oftentimes speaking about domestic violence is, it's one of those topics that people are nervous to have that conversation, but it's such an important conversation. It's such an important one that that is kind of like, it's, it's not like, I don't want to say it's like swept under the rug kind of thing, but it's kind of like, it's like, oh, people just keep it to themselves. And I think, I don't know why. I don't know if it's out of shame. I don't know if it's out of guilt. I don't know if it's out of fear. I don't know. And I think everyone probably has their own reasons, I would assume. But um, I just think having this conversation about how this can affect someone and how to kind of help overcome that in some ways um, is a really important thing. So I thank you.
2: Yeah, no. And I mean, I echo, I echo the gratitude. So um, I am a survivor of domestic violence myself, and I wrote a book on how I survived domestic violence. So the the main reason why I decided to share my story, and like you said, it's often um, not discussed, it's often swept under mm-hmm. the rug. And the reason why I decided to be vocal about it is because I saw an injustice after my, I call it my altercation, after the actual episode occurred, I received more judgment than, than I ever, well, one, I never imagined to have this platform, but two, I received more judgment um, than I ever thought would be possible as a survivor. it was mm. I was the one that was hitting the walls and the how did you find yourself in a toxic relationship, um, essentially turning the tables that the bruises and the concussion, they were my fault and it it broke me as a young survivor. It didn't allow me to start recovering and find my own power in a way that that let me leave the abusive relationship. Instead, I felt like it was other people putting their foot on my mouth and essentially keeping me quiet as well. And so um, the reason why I wrote the book is one, for other survivors to let them know no matter where they're at in their healing, if if it's a fresh altercation for them or if they're 20 years removed from it, Uh, they have community and they're not alone. That was one thing I couldn't find as a young survivor is other people that said they understood just because nobody was speaking about it. So one, I want to build community with other survivors and two just like what you said, it, it is often not discussed because it does make people comfortable. So how can we bring this conversation up in a loving way and start challenging people's thoughts? And hey, like, this is a reality of our culture. And we need to talk about it openly because it is happening frequently. And by not talking about it, we're just doing a disservice to other survivors. So uh-huh. yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show and being able to share this platform.
1: I love that you just said that, though, that you want to find a way to have this conversation with love and compassion, as opposed to, you know, finger pointing or blame, because I think that that's sort of the way that a conversation usually goes, right? Yeah. And, and usually when it's a difficult conversation, that's usually how people uh, in this situation and in many situations, that's usually like the direction that people take a conversation. So I think it's, I think it's refreshing to hear that, you know, there is another way. There is another way to have that conversation.
2: There is, and I mean, I don't think I've ever changed anything in my life when somebody's ran at me, accusing me of being wrong. So <laughs> I, I would, I, I share my story, hoping that through vulnerability, um, people might be able to start doing introspection. It would empower them to start thinking about their word choice, the way that they would respond if somebody showed up on their doorstep with bruises. So. I I hope to make a small dent in this horrific injustice in our society. Thank you. So
1: would you mind, and I know because, and I'm only asking because I know that you are an open book and that we've talked about this offline. Would you mind sharing a bit of your story with our listeners? um, Just so that they know, you know, and it's, it's more just like so that they can really understand who you are as a person and, you know, how you sort of, Sort of went through this whole process.
2: Yeah, of course. So, the the altercation happened the day after I took my last college final. So I was 22 years old, um, and it occurred with my college boyfriend. So. I back up the timeline. We had started dating um, my sophomore year of college. So um, I was really young in my early 20s trying to figure out um, what my identity was, what I wanted to study, what sort of occupation I wanted to have. I had more questions for life than answers. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. sure we've all been there. Just a a period of soul searching. And um, I met this man and he was absolutely amazing. I mean, I never saw any sort of... um, potential that he could be a physical abuser. And so it it started out, he, he had traveled the world. So I was wildly perplexed about every country that he had seen and how he lived in Europe and Asia and South America. And he had such a diverse perspective on the world. And he was a little bit older than me. He was a non-traditional college student. So um, he was 31. Um, uh-huh. So he was about eight years older than me when the altercation actually happened. And um, just hearing about his maturity and how much he had gotten to experience and And grow in life, he he swept me off my feet easily. And there is no doubt in my mind that this man was the man that I was going to marry and would be the father of my future children. And so um, leading up to the altercation, so what would have been the last semester of college for me, um, things started to get uh, just a little tense at times, um, in the sense, Mm -hmm. occasionally, there would be a a disagreement of some sort. There would be, um, I I was applying to medical school at the time, so there were conversations about, do we do long distance? And we had different views on that. And um, do I delay medical school until he finishes his program? So there was confusion, logistical confusion, starting to creep into the relationship. And then, um, yeah, I took my last college final, and the day after that was his birthday, May 3rd, 2017. And I was uh, so excited. I just had graduated college. It was my boyfriend's 31st birthday. And so I, I really wanted to take him out for dinner and go get a drink. So I went and picked him up, and we went to a bar. We live in Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, took him there to a bar downtown and um, initially ordered a beer and a shot for each of us. And um, I, I switched over to a burger right away. I was starving and uh, there was some sort of sports game on that he was really invested in. I'm not a huge sports fan, but he wanted to watch the entire game. So um, I made a friend at the bar. I was just playing on my phone. I had no interest in the game, but he um, had ordered a few more beers I had known and um The game ended and there was just a little bit left in his drink. So I just sat there and I was like, okay, just two more sips and he'll be done. And the bartender reached across the bar and grabbed my hand. And she said, honey, I need you to get out of the bar right now or I'm going to call the cops. What? (laughs) Oh, Oh my god! Like, have we been sitting here for too long? I don't understand. And she said, I need you to get him out of the bar or I'm going to have the bouncer escort you out immediately. And I looked over. And um, he was falling out of his chair, blackout drunk, um, like so blackout drunk that he was drooling a little bit. It was just a, a really oh, wow. ugly, ugly situation. And of course, of course, bring me the check. Um, we'll get out of here immediately. And so I had um, that burger, a beer, and one shot. And the bill was close to $200. The remainder of it was all his alcohol. And oh my I had no idea he had consumed that much. So <laughs> I wasn't going to pay for that. So I I put his card down and um, left her a tip. And we walked out of the bar. And I, to this day, I still don't know how to describe this emotion. But as soon as we walked out of the bar, I was just overcome with just acute awareness that something was wrong. Something was horrifically wrong. And I looked at him and I saw something in his eyes that I had never seen in his eyes before. And the only thought that went through my head was run. So that's what I did. I started running through the streets of downtown Indianapolis and um, his house was about a mile away from the bar that we were at. So uh, the only thing that I was thinking about is if I went and got my dog out of his place, I could have my friend pick me up And Get out of there. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew something horrific was on the horizon So I was sprinting this mile-long sprint to his house and um, I mean I had flip-flops on and they were slowing me down So I kicked them off and stepped in some glass so my feet were bleeding But I knew if I stopped something something bad would happen. So I never looked behind me I just kept going and as soon as I walk into his house To this day, it's complete blackout for me. I do not remember what happened at all. Um, The next thing that I remember is I'm standing in a kitchen that I've never been in before. And there's three strange men around me and my friend that I called to pick me up. And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and I can't understand why I'm screaming. Who are these people? Where I'm at? Where am I at? So the first thing I do is stop screaming. I turn and look at my friend and I, excuse me, what's going on? Where are we at? Who are these people? And the men pick me up and put me in her car and we drive off. And um, the entire time I'm questioning her, what, what just happened? Can you explain to me what happened? And she takes me to her fiance's house. And um, I I say thankfully, um, because I don't, I don't think I would be under understand the gravity of the situation. But thankfully, um, she actually saw the altercation occur. So when I went into his house, the front of his house had glass windows. So she had gotten there a little bit before me, and I didn't realize that but she was able to see through the glass windows from her car what happened. So apparently I had walked into the house and when I walked inside, I turned and locked the door behind me, ran upstairs to get my dog. And as soon as I walked in, um, she saw him sprinting around the street corner um, toward his house, but the front door was locked so he couldn't get inside. And he ran around to the back of his house and as I was coming down the stairs, he ran through essentially the length of his house and ran up to me and hit me across the face. So I had a huge bruise on the left side of my face and then grabbed my shoulders and shook me and then threw me backward into a stairwell, hitting the back of my head on the railing. Um, So I had a a giant goose egg on the back of my head and a concussion from that as well. And hearing that the man that I love, the man that I thought, I was going to go engagement ring shopping with that summer so we could get engaged before I moved to medical school, had put bruises on my face, a goose egg on on the back of my head, and had given me a concussion. That was the definition of rock bottom for me. I, I thought I had identity issues beforehand, but after that, I I had no idea who who I was anymore, who Michaela was. I didn't trust myself to be able to make a a good decision, a right decision at that moment. And so, I started reaching out to friends and family. Um, what do I do? Who who do yeah. I turn to, to? What where do I go from here? And, um, much to my surprise, as I alluded to earlier, I was hit with walls of judgment everywhere I went. Um, for example, um, one of the, the biggest daggers in my heart, if you will, um, my mom sent me to a, a counselor here in Indianapolis immediately after the altercation, which seems like a really logical next train of thought, you know, yeah. um, mental health. Um, she uh, might have daughter, a professional she, step in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So as I was at this counselor, in the first session, I described the story that I just told to you. Um, this is what happened logistically. And then I was looking for a safe place to begin questioning, how do I move forward? What is my relationship with myself, with him, with my friends, my family? What, what do I do from here? Right. So the first session was just logistical. Second session. Um, she, she asked if I knew why this happened to, to me, why was I in this situation? And I, I told her, you know, my boyfriend was drunk. He had, he had lots of anger, something happened. And she said she wanted to tell me a story okay, (laughs) what what kind of story do you have for me? And she said that there was a young couple that was sitting on her couch a few days beforehand. Their situation was slightly different. They were married with young kids and they were driving somewhere, I, I think out to dinner and the wife had been asking the husband why haven't you mowed the grass yet? Why haven't you finished this household chore? And the husband became so frustrated with her, her asking this question that he actually reached over while driving and hit her and the police were called. And she said, do you know why this wife was hit? No, no, I, I don't, her husband has anger issues. I don't know. And, um, essentially the counselor said, because in the Bible it says that women are submissive to men. And so, gender roles, we're supposed to essentially turn our other cheek and let the dominant partner in the relationship um, lead the way and make the calls. And so at like still fresh bruises on my face, I was wildly perplexed as to how mental health, how my counseling system had turned the the conversation to say, like, this is my fault. And it, it was my fault for being in this situation so a lot of that was my motivation for reaching out because I saw just pure judgment everywhere I went Mm -hmm. after the altercation so that's why I want to write this book and talk to you all today
1: yeah no and thank you I mean I have chills clearly and I I have a lot of emotion around what you were saying and I I'm trying to hold back because I just you know (laughs) there's so many mixed emotions of like between anger and sadness and frustration. Um, But there, it is not directed at you. It's directed at the fact that this situation happened to you. And I me, just meeting you now, I feel that way. So it is very confusing to me that other people would feel like this is any point in time to make any judgment or blame, especially. So that's, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And, Mm. you know, I'm sorry that this is, I, I can't even imagine, you know, how that would feel. I, I'm, you know, I'm I like lost for words because I'm like I can't even I can't even begin to imagine how that would feel, and to be put into the situation where you also then feel like you have to second guess your decision making. Um, yeah, it
2: it became increasingly more confusing. It was, um, how do I articulate this? It was difficult. The counselor. I was almost able to dismiss her advice because she was an objective figure in my life. I had um, essentially no past relationship with her. So I figured maybe her education was bad. That's what I told myself. <laughs> um but other conversations that arose from friends and family, particularly after, they were questions, or they, they asked me questions um, that, that really perplexed me, and I feel in a way made me silent as a young survivor. And for that, I have empathy for other survivors. And these questions were How did you fall in love with a man that had the potential to be toxic? How, how did you. Um, not see these, these warning flags coming. And I, I think these questions were their way of trying to understand how maybe as friends, as family, they had missed the warning signs as well. But um, in a way, their advice, they gave me advice afterward that I needed to move away from Indianapolis. I had just been accepted to a graduate school here that I needed to leave the state. I needed to leave the life that I knew. And I think their advice was rooted in a place of love and empathy. They wanted the best for me, and having never been in this situation before, they didn't necessarily know how to give advice or proceed mm-hmm. with the situation. So, mm-hmm.
1: no, and that's a, that's actually a very valid point. In you know, to their point that in that, you know, when you're faced with a situation that you're unfamiliar with, you can only do. best you can in those scenarios you know I use the example of my parents my parents being completely unrelated in this in in terms of domestic violence but when I was younger my sister was um when she was 11 I was nine she committed suicide and Mm -hmm. after that my parents became very disjointed and very chaotic of course yeah and you know people would ask me how are you not angry at your parents how are you not and I said because they did the best they could. They didn't understand how to process it. And so it's not the same, but it's similar in the sense that when it's like, when people have never experienced something, they have to try to navigate through it somehow. So I I agree with you that it probably came from a loving place. It's just when you're in the situation that you're processing it, Mm -hmm. it's really probably hard or challenging, I would assume to have people question you because it really shouldn't be, how did you not see the signs? It should be, I'm sorry that I didn't see any signs, you Mm. know, or something along those lines, I would think, but again, I'm, I'm just thinking about it from never being in your situation.
2: Yeah. And I'm not a trained mental health professional by any stretch of the imagination. I solely operate on life experience at this point, but I, I think the most beneficial relationships for me, and thank you for sharing your story, the most beneficial relationships for me were the ones that met me with love, not judgment. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that, um, if I was having a bad day and I didn't want to talk about it, they never even brought up the altercation. We just went to go see a movie or went for a walk. And as I'm sure you can understand more than most people, um, processing takes time. Processing what had just happened in your life and the loss that you just suffered and your loss was so much greater than mine. Um, The loss of a loved one, but processing your new reality. And the title that you have of losing a sibling or a domestic violence survivor, these take time. And it's not a mental shift, Mm -hmm. a a new identity that you can step into immediately. And um, I think we live in in a world where people want instant action. They want instant clarity. And by putting that pressure on an individual to suddenly be okay after a trauma, that was mm-hmm. detrimental to me in my healing process. Definitely.
1: Definitely. Now, one of the questions I have for you is you know, um, as I mentioned to you in our emails, um, that I've been volunteering with the Assaulted Women's Helpline. So that's just something that I personally have been doing, um, helping them sort of get a stronger voice in our community. And that's just because I'm so passionate about women and you know not only their physical health but also their emotional health their mental health and just their whole state of being and i think it's i think it's such an important um, service that's offered and it's kind of it's kind of overshadowed by so many other organizations cuz they don't necessarily have this huge platform which i feel in my heart that they should and so yeah. i've been really working with them to try to help them in that process but one of the conversations that her um, myself and the director had was that there was a misconception out there that, um, and this is something they're trying to educate on, is the idea that women can just leave a situation that mm-hmm. they're in, you know, this whole idea of, I, and they hear it all the time, where people say, like, well, you know, if this is happening to you, why do you not leave? Now, I know you did, right? And your situation is a little different, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are around that and how we can provide people a deeper understanding of, you know, the decision to leave is not necessarily as easy as people may think it is.
2: Yeah, and I guess I I didn't elaborate on that part of my story. I didn't leave right away. It took oh. me about nine months after the altercation to actually step away. And I was so excited um, when I saw that in your email in particular because it's a question that I get asked quite a bit. Um, I was up in Chicago last week actually um, okay. on a, a radio station up there, and we had a very lengthy discussion about this because you're right; it is the most common question. Um, even the police officers that were involved after. Um, they, they asked me, so, I mean, how are you going to break up? How are you going to move forward? And um, honestly, as I was sitting there the night after the altercation, that idea of walking away never went through my mind because of the psychology that so all of my friends and family, and that's what I'm referring back to because it's what I know, they were able to make a mental shift immediately that he is now the bad guy. He had messed up and he is now the bad guy. But for me, I had just spent the last two and a half, three years of my life planning a future with him. I had planned, um, engagements and potential wedding destinations and the names of our kids. And we had sit around and talked about this at length and, um, like where we wanted to grow old together. We had spent years falling in love with each other and I wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I had brought a lot of insecurity to the relationship and to see him immediately as the bad guy and not as the man I had fallen in love with. That wasn't a mental shift that I was capable of making because I was in love with him. And I think when you're in love, it's easy to see past what we would call toxic traits. It's easy to see the good from the beginning and the start of the relationship, but the development or the, Exposure of the toxic traits as the relationship develops, you, you just, I mean, where does that line become? This is a toxic trait versus this is just an individual with a past who is also struggling. And so, I always saw that alcohol is just um, a coping mechanism for him, a way that he relaxes with friends, whatever it may be. But I never actually saw it as a toxic trait until years after the relationship. So, yeah, as I alluded to, I didn't leave the relationship right away. So I, I, when I had these conversations afterward, the conversations, um, I've essentially felt put me in social chains in a way. They made me so uncomfortable that I ran back to what was familiar. I ran back to arms that I knew would love me. And from previous history that had been my boyfriend. So when I hit that wall of judgment in society, I was reaching out and screaming for help, but I hit judgment. So I ran back to my boyfriend because I knew air quotes that will, that's what was safe for my heart. And I knew in my soul that I was not in a good situation, but I did not know how to walk away. And so unconsciously at the time, I don't think I had the ability to articulate it. I knew I had to start, changing as a person, because I didn't know how to be an individual. I didn't know how to be Michaela as an entity. I was so reliant upon him that I didn't know how to be single. So I, um, I always joke around in a way that Um, weightlifting saved my life, but it's actually true for me. So I had never lifted a weight before, but I wandered into the weight room for the first time after the altercation with the mentality, like I never want to be beaten to the ground again. I want to be strong so that I can defend myself. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) the first day that I was in the weight room, I was just looking around. I'm like, okay, so you put the the bar on your back and you pretend like you're sitting. <laughs> like, how do you do this exactly? <laughs> and um, so I kind of stood in the back of the weight room for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes just watching other people and seeing what they did and eventually worked up the courage to wander over to a squat rack. And I got under the bar and I think I did maybe a, like a half rep that day. I'm like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's a workout. <laughs> Moved 45 pounds. <laughs> and, um, but I started going back every single day and I didn't realize how empowering mentally it would be when I could start to add weight onto the bar. And um, a couple months later, I was able to put a plate on 45 pounds and I was able to clear that squat for the first time. And as I was driving up, these tears welled up in my eyes and I'm not a crier but these tears welled up and as soon as I cleared that squat um I knew in my heart and my soul that I would never be beaten to the ground again like if I could train my mind mentally to um go to the gym every day and push myself physically in a way that was uncomfortable I knew that I was strong enough to be on my own So I turned toward fitness. I turned toward my academics. I pursued a a master's degree after my bachelor's. And I did a lot of introspection, a lot of um, like reframing my mental processes. I, I got a life coach and somebody that could help me look at my thoughts, which thoughts are maladaptive. And I think the combination of those three areas, the personal investment in my mental health physical health and my academic intellectual health I was able to reformat who I am as a person and by reformatting who I am it gave me the strength to walk away Um, and yeah that took about nine months afterwards so I, I fully stand behind that mission of um, spreading word that it's not as easy to walk away as one would expect. It literally took changing who I am as a person, the complete character shift in order to walk away. And I, I, that's not easy. <laughs> you, you have to yeah. see somebody that you fell in love with as a bad guy or a bad girl um, and then completely change, or at least for me, I had to completely change who I was. And that wasn't an overnight transition by any stretch of the imagination. It took a long time. It's, you know, and thank you for sharing that because I, I totally,
1: I mean, again, not related because I have never went through domestic violence um, myself, but a situation where I didn't leave and I found out, long story short, I found out that one of my boyfriends um, was cheating on me and I found out because my best friend saw him at a hotel literally on a night when he told me he was going to see his grandmother in the hospital. This ran, yeah, like this huge lie and everything else. And I was in such disbelief. I actually showed up at the hotel and confronted him and everything. And so I knew it was happening, but I ended up getting back together with him and my friends were like, what are you doing? And I knew in my logical mind that this was not the right decision. And in my soul, I knew that it was not, I was not comfortable around him. I was not happy. It was not making sense. But I needed to do this as a way to kind of, for me, a different scenario again. But for me, what I found was it was like, I was in such a disbelief state because Mm -hmm. I didn't, even though I was in the moment at the hotel confronting, I didn't believe it to be true Mm -hmm. that I had to get to a place where it like, 100% was like, yes, this is real. Yes, this happened. Yes, it's time to move on. But it took me a few months to get to that state. And no matter what anybody said to me, it didn't matter. It was like, I just had to go through this journey on my own to get to the point where I knew that I could walk away and be safe for lack of a better word in my own body. You know what I mean? And so I wonder if that also plays into, you know, with some women, if that plays into their role as well, where, you know, it's, it's not as easy as people think.
2: Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, as the friend, you want so badly to say, Hey, listen, like you deserve better. You, you should just walk away. And I think friends that advocate in that way, they're coming from the best place possible. They want so badly for their friend to find love and happiness. And it's hard just to sit back and watch your friend make mistakes. But in a way, I don't think one person in this world could have told me to walk away. Several people did, but I wouldn't have listened to one of them just Mm -hmm. because I had to make that decision on my own. And it took me a while to figure that out. And it took me a while of um, going through even more pain and more tough conversations to be able to finally make that decision to walk away. So it is not an easy psychology to wrestle with. Definitely. And I know, you know, one of the things
1: that, um, as I mentioned, the director at the assaulted women's helpline, what she talked to me about was this idea that there are so many times people think like, Oh, like just, you know, you just pack up and leave. And it's, Oftentimes, women that are in situations, especially if it's continued violence, continued domestic mm-hmm. um, violence, either whether it be like physical, emotional, or mental, like whatever it is, if they're in a domestic abusive relationship, oftentimes their self-confidence, their beliefs in what's possible, their beliefs in who they are, their what they're capable of, is also really diminished, and so they need they can't just like believe that they can just walk away because they just, it's not in them right now and they need time. And that's one of the things that the hotline does is they really are there to listen. But they're also there to help support, right? And, and to yeah. be able to provide that support. And that's why I think what you did, finding your own strength, finding, empowering yourself to do different things was so important because it allowed for you to like see how strong you were as an individual and give you that mm-hmm. ability to like see yourself in like in your own personal strength. Is there anything else that you did externally or internally that really, that you found really helped you kind of in the
2: healing process? You know, I think probably another thing that I did, um, and I didn't necessarily allude to is reframe my social circle. So the person that I was before the altercation and the person that I am now, um, I feel like, in a way, two, two incredibly different personalities, two different people almost. Um, so before the altercation, I, I was deeply insecure. I didn't know who I was as a person, and I was surrounded with people with similar mentalities, and we were in a searching state. But after the altercation, I, I knew I wanted to be a different person, so I did. I changed that. And now um, the social circle that I have now, Literally is overflowing with encouragement and love everywhere that I go. These people, they support each other. I am. I'm actually going to the gym after our podcast today, and it's the highlight of my day. um, Just seeing these people and being able to love on them and vice versa. Because I know when I go there, I'm going to leave in such a better state than when I show up. And Mm -hmm. I think surrounding myself with people that continually show me my my worth. Um, especially on days I'm a human being on the days when I still struggle with, um, how oh, can I do this? Like, is Michaela a strong enough person to write a book and tell her story? Um, they're the ones that text me first and let me know, Hey, you, you can do this. You can share your story today. You get, you get to change a life. You get to build community. Yeah. And I, I never had a, a social circle like that before. So it, it's, I think it's a, I, the the further I get in life, I think it's more about community and having those voices of influence in your life. They can either be positive or negative. So I'm incredibly selective with the ones that I choose to listen to now. And that was a big shift for me as well. Um, pre altercation. I, I just listened to everybody. Um, but now I feel like I have the power to choose, um, which advice to take, if you will, and, and who gets to speak truth into my life.
1: No, I really love that. I love that. I love that from any aspect of your life, you know, to really just to be careful of what you let in Mm -hmm. and who you let in. So that's wonderful. Um, Would you have any last words? I mean, I know that you have a book coming out. You also have a community that you're growing and a movement that you're creating. Um, Would you be able to share that with our listeners and also share just any last words that you have for anyone who might be listening today that may be going through a situation maybe has went through a situation, um, an altercation of their own, or knows somebody that might be dealing with domestic violence and, and how you might be able to support them um, through, yeah. through or um, give them advice to support someone else if needed.
2: Of course, of course. So um, yeah, I have had such an amazing opportunity to build community with other survivors, and I've mostly been using my social media platform to build that survivor, that, that community. And um, so my Instagram handle is at Michaela underscore Runkle. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A underscore r-u-n-k-l-e and um, that platform has been really unique in the sense I've been receiving a couple messages a day about um, people saying they, they were able to communicate with their spouse for the first time or um, they themselves were able to accept the domestic violence um, that had happened in their life and just dialogue through about where they're at in their journey and some people are farther along in the healing than even I am so being able to talk with them like hey how did you get to this point? How did you um, find love after the altercation? And then I bombard them with questions and um, and vice versa. And it's just been such a beautiful, beautiful environment that I'm so excited to be a part of. Um, But I think the one thing, whenever this journey gets difficult, um, just being so public about my story, the one thing that I continually remember, my piece of advice, if you will, is the 22-year 22-year-old version of myself that's laying on the bathroom floor a day after the altercation with a bruised face questioning why this happened, why, why she's in this spot. And the only thing that I needed at that time was somebody to look me in the eye and say that I wasn't alone, that they might not understand the specifics of my exact story because every story is different, but they understand what it's like to be hurt by the person that they love. And I just needed a hug. I just needed somebody to realize that my soul isn't as broken as the world made it out to be. And so I hope, I hope I can be that voice and somebody's listening right now and I can let them know that they're not alone, whether it's a fresh altercation or it's years removed from the altercation that mm-hmm. they do have community and they have people around them that love them. Um, they just get to choose what voices to listen to. So um, with that being said, I did write a book over my entire story. Um, and I, like I said earlier, I, I hope through the vulnerability of the book, it will ignite a social conversation, a silent social conversation around domestic violence. Um, and so And my publisher actually emailed me yesterday and said they're still working out a few bugs with the exact publication process. So I don't have a release date yet, but I hope it's soon, as soon as I get that, I'll definitely let you guys know. Um, And then, yeah, so I just, I hope if anybody needs anything, they can always reach out and feel free to um, pick my mind and vice versa. I would love to just hear your stories as well, where you're at in, in your healing and in your growth. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I mean,
1: <laughs> I'm like fighting back tears right now because <laughs> it's just because of what you said, it's just it's so powerful and it's so freaking important in today's society to have community and to have somebody just to listen to. I think all human beings, the biggest thing that we all have that is exactly the same in every single human is that we have this desire to be loved, to be heard, and to be seen. And I think no matter where you're at, your journey you still have those same desires and needs and like we have to fulfill those and we can't you know look away from someone when they're going through something and I think when someone is going through something it's some, any crisis state we have to remember that and kind of be even more attentive to those needs and desires yeah
2: so. I would agree completely yeah
1: mm-hmm So thank you. Thank you so much for being so open, for sharing this, for creating this movement, for writing this book, for deciding to, you know, stand in the position that you are going to be standing in and that you are standing in now, which is helping other people see, you know, that there is a voice out there that's willing to be able to listen and to share and and to create a community. So thank you. I really appreciate for
2: having me. I appreciate you. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I appreciate it so much. And so again, um, for anyone who is listening, of course, if you are interested in um, connecting with Michaela, she left you her social handle, but it's also in the show notes. So make sure that you check there if you want to reach out, if you want to join her community. And of course, if you have any questions or anything, you can also reach out to us info at fitchicks.ca all right thank you so much Michaela thank you everyone for listening and um, we'll talk to you again next week
0: okay bye thanks for listening to the fit chicks chat podcast want more healthy love visit www.fitchicks.com for amazing resources free workouts recipes tips and so much more to help you live your healthiest and fiercest life inside and out Thank you so much for joining us this week on Fit Chicks Chat. And remember, if you are ready to create the life, health, and career that you love, make sure to join us for our upcoming Holistic Nutrition Weight Loss Expert Program to become a certified holistic nutrition and health coach. Download the brochure today at fitchicksacademycom forward slash HWLE brochure. And we'll see you next week.